back to the Startup Stories podcast. I am your host, Tom Callahan. Today, I am joined by Ted Rammer, who is the founder of Burst, based in San Francisco, California. Ted, how are we doing today? What is Burst? First of all, thanks for having me, Tom. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, my name is Ted Rammert, and I, I started Burst about three years ago. And Burst is designed to make it super simple to create apps that don't need to be downloaded. There's a lot that you can do with apps that don't need to be downloaded, but primarily the the pain point that we're trying to solve is bridging the gap between somebody not having your app and installing your app. App clips sit in this middle ground where you can load them instantaneously without going through the cumbersome process of downloading a full app from the app store. You can use these for a multitude of situations, but the one that we found that customers really resonate with is using them as a on-ramp to your full app. You can give a preview of your full app. You can onboard users there. You can even do things that don't require somebody to download your full app, like buy a product from Shopify, which is something that we support. We have a Shopify app, but really the, the overall objective for what I've been building with Burst is to make it dead simple for any company to take advantage of app clips. There's a lot of nuances that make it difficult to take advantage of them. And I think that's why they've been overall kind of under-adopted in the market. And we just make it all configured via a dashboard and a very simple to use SDK. That's a high level kind of what we do. I, yeah, I like it. I think so from what it sounds like, it sounds like if I'm looking at an Instagram ad for say a, you know, a small company I've never heard of, and I'm like, Ooh, I want to buy this sweatshirt. And then they're like, it takes you to the screen of download app or like view mm -hmm. on web. And I'm like, I don't want to download that whole app just to make one purchase. Obviously, you yeah. know, that company probably wants me to download the app to make multiple purchases. But like for this one time, that's where it's, I could just, I don't need to download the app. I don't need to go to a web browser. Is that, is that kind of what it yes. is? Yeah. So it, in the case of Instagram, the way it works today, and this is ever evolving and constantly changing. So I was one of the first apps on the iOS app store that was using app clips. It came out in iOS 14, which was roughly July, August of 2020. So I was working at Amazon at the time I quit my job and I've seen every evolution of app clips. Uh, since their inception, I've found bugs in Apple's code. I've reported them to Apple. I've been on the forefront of everything that is app clips, and I've seen every small change. I've predicted a lot of things that changed about them over the years. I'm like, I bet you this is what's going to come in iOS 16 or 17. But in the case of Instagram, what happens is you click the link. It opens up in the in-app web browser. From there, you can click a button and launch into the app clip where you're presented with that full screen native Swift UI experience where you can purchase a product. And that's a, the e-com example, but let's say you are advertising an app. Instead of doing that, you can click the link, it opens in the web browser, you click the button, it opens the app clip. There you can present a full screen preview of the app, from which point you can install the full app without ever visiting the app store. So it's a streamlined install experience that never touches the app store. And I think the potential to use them is wide ranging. I, I've had customers use them in a lot of different use cases and really Burst is just trying to be that base layer technology platform that allows you to do whatever you want with app clips. We don't necessarily have a particular preference. My, my overarching kind of vision is to be, I don't wanna use a proxy of AWS, but we just wanna be the infrastructure for anyone to build app clips and, and manage them at scale. And I can dive into why that's hard. But right now we're kind of more focused on pointed use cases, uh, purchasing things from Shopify stores or uh, creating install flows, sharing and referrals, things like that. 
Cool. Yeah, I love it. I think I I understand the frustration of getting trying to click on something again and like go like getting redirected to the app store and then it goes to this and it's just like I look at my screen I'm like I just saw three different pages in the course of like one second I'm not really sure what's yeah. going on here. Um, awesome. Yeah, did, exactly. And I guess you know kind of starting from the beginning like you mentioned you know working at Amazon quitting your job at Amazon like. Uh, you know, you were a software engineer on the Amazon music team. Like, how did you kind of, how did you find your like love or passion for software engineering? Like, was it something you've done since you were a kid or did you pick it up in college? I, admittedly, I'm a super late bloomer. I wanted, I idolized Thomas Edison as a kid. I wanted to be a mechanical engineer. That was always my dream. And I got through one semester of mechanical engineering and I took a I took a MATLAB course, which is not necessarily the coding, like oftentimes coding is referenced like web website building or app building or, you know, building backend APIs. It was very much like a math coding language that you could create very simple UIs. But I instantly was like, whoa, this is, this is really cool. You can, you can build these little programs. I just fell in love with the puzzle-like nature of it. So I started kind of doing both mechanical engineering and computer science at the same time. And then eventually came to the conclusion that mechanical engineering was just a hundred different variations of plugging and chugging equations. And I was like, I, I like the creativity involved in computer science. So I switched. Uh, and then I started kind of going down the computer science track. I built a website in college because I knew I had started late and I was, I went to a college that isn't necessarily well-renowned uh, for computer science, especially. I went to a college with like a 90% acceptance rate. So it's, and it didn't have a great computer science school. So I was like, I need to do something that's mm -hmm. going to differentiate me from all of the people that are going to schools like Stanford, Harvard, you know, the, the big ones, UIUC, Columbia, potentially Tom, like yours. Um, I had to compete. So I, I was like, I need to kind of teach myself a lot more about coding outside the context of my coursework. So I built a website in college. I noticed the problem with kids buying and selling student tickets to football games. And I went to a large D1 school. So there's a lot of these transactions and 90% of the communication on this Facebook page was, is this ticket still for sale? It's like somebody should build a website to trade these PDFs. So I built a website uh, following my sophomore year, the buy and sell PDFs among students. I called it icuticketswap.com. Uh, so that's what basically got me the job at Amazon. I started uh, kind of working at Amazon Music, doing heavy backend work. Well, I interned first. And then as, as you may be aware, you get an intern project and then you present it, they tell you to your face on the last day. Whether or not you get the job, I wasn't sure whether I would. I still felt like a novice relative to all the other uh, interns that were there. A lot of them were master students, and I still felt like I was just figuring out how to code. Luckily, just worked very hard at that, got the full-time offer. Um, was working at Amazon Music doing heavy backend work. Uh, we, My team managed a bunch of different databases. I was on the catalog team for music, so we vended data to every other team internally. We managed all assets. When, the, when a new artist dropped a an album, we had to ingest this math, massive XML file and just parse it and just persist it in a 10 different places and then build all the, the vending services that sit on top of that. It was okay. It was, a, it was not the most entertaining software engineering work to do. And so I was looking to switch internally to the iOS team, but then I stumbled upon this role at AWS as a solutions architect where I got to, people were working with uh, C-suite executives from San Francisco startups to build their infrastructure. And I'd gotten pretty good with AWS during my time as an engineer. So I switched to that role. And then when Apple announced AppClips, I decided that this was going to be kind of my moment to uh, jump on something first. I, I always felt like I didn't like to be a close follower. I wanted to, if I was going to start a company, I wanted to be the first one to kind of do it. And that's what I've been doing for three years and just trying to be on the forefront of, of AppClips. And I think they're really kind of hitting their stride now.
Cool. Yeah, I love that story. I think it's uh, like you just mentioned, it's like you can see it in your blood, like where it's like you found a gap in college, like you found a gap in the market, essentially of like, hey, I'm experiencing this problem. There's got to be, you know, if there's 20,000 other students here, it's like a lot of them are probably experiencing the same problem. So why don't I go try and fix it? Um, Yeah. Especially like, yeah, especially back, you know, that I imagine that was probably seven, eight years ago. And Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, the ticket, like it, it, things weren't so easy as they are now, like, like figuring out how to transfer tickets and stuff is, it's so simple. Now it takes three, three seconds, but before it was like, yeah. how do you, it, you know, it's like pre Venmo, like things like that, where it's like, how do I get money from someone else that isn't cash? How do I know this is legit? Like, is this ticket that is uploaded? Has it been verified? Um, you know, is it, is it yeah. real? Or am I going to, you know, check in for the game and get scammed uh, and, and find out I just spent $50 on a fake ticket or something like that? Yeah. I still think that's an unsolved problem at a lot of universities. So if there's yeah. any young entrepreneurial uh, listeners out there, build your own, you know, insert college university name here, PDF trader for buying and selling student tickets and, you know, use that as leverage to get a, get a job at a big five tech company. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, you know, it's like, I think so much, so much gets thrown out there. It's like, you need to go to these like big name schools and like have that prestige where it's like, you know what, not everyone has the opportunity to do that or, or is, you know, maybe, maybe they just didn't go there for whatever reason. And not that they couldn't have gotten in or gotten into the program. It's, it's more of like, Hey, I did this because this is this is where I'm from. This is closer to family. I and this is the what I could afford. I got a full scholarship to this school. Um, yeah, and that it's was like, me. yeah, exactly. So it's it's like doing. It's like but you go and do something rather than just like relying on this pedigree that is. I don't, I think it's a a lawyer of of horse shit. Like, it's just like, what? Like, it's like, you need to, you still need to do stuff. It's like, people aren't just successful because they go to a school. Like they're successful because they go to a school and they, you know, really take something in and make something of it for themselves, um, which is is great. (laughs) In the the interview process too, as, as, as you're inter, as you're interviewing interns, somebody that seems ambitious and they're kind of doing things outside of the coursework, it kind of proves your, your passion for, the art of coding and it really yeah. helps you kind of control the interview in a way that might not be deep diving on technical questions and you can talk about your own projects which is going to give you a lot more insight about the potential candidate than saying you know assort this linked list whatever insert question here a lot of my interview was just talking about icuticketswap.com and every component of it so i knew that like the back of my hand where maybe I wasn't as good at solving the the puzzle like coding questions. I did have to do a couple and I did okay enough to, to get the job, but that, right. that really kind of helped me get in the door. And then where I was able to kind of supplement my novice coding skills with uh, hard work. Yeah. And real work, real world experience. Um, and yeah. you know, you're not just sitting around doing leak code uh, problems all day. It's like, Hey, this is, this is something I, yeah, I'm actually solving right now. Um, and it, it, it lets you know, like, you know, you have that experience of like knowing how to run a business. It's like, I need, it's like, how does this make money? What does this cost to run? Like, there's so many of yeah. these like hidden intricacies where if you were, you know, if you just went to, like you said, like, you know, you go to UIUC, you get a computer science degree, very prestigious. And then you just get, you know, you get your internship at Amazon and you go to Amazon. And that is like your only experience is at Amazon. It's, yeah. it's like, it has got to be a very, difficult or tr- uh, transition to then, you know, three, four years later, go and start your own company because all you know is big tech. But if you know, yeah. like, 
that scrappy, like I have zero resources. I am doing this out of like, out of my own pocket. I started with $6,000 that I saved up through summer jobs. Like that's, that's a founder mentality right there. Not everyone has that. Um, yeah. And also at, at bigger tech companies, you're going to be so siloed into yep. one specific tech stack. Like when I, I learned almost everything that took me to build Burst, I taught myself in my free time, like my coding skills at Amazon Music, we were building Java Spring applications that were sitting on top of massive like Redshift databases. No, I don't do that now. Right. <laughs> I, like that had nothing to do with how I built Burst. That was all kind of self-taught stuff. So yeah, yeah. It, it, it helps a lot unless you're working at a small company where you can get kind of a more wide ranging skill set of how to build something from front end all the way to data store. There's a lot that happens in between there and it's tough to get a job where you're seeing that whole thing. You kind of got to do it yourself. Right. You can only, you can only get that at a smaller company because as you get bigger and bigger, you need, you need to silo those, those like different people. And it's like, you know, one person, you know, it's like, yeah, you can work at Facebook, Facebook. And for three years, like you just built like the side menu bar and and that's it. And that's all you touched. Like you don't, you don't know how anything else works necessarily. And, but, but, you know, you have that prestige, like, oh yeah, he works at Facebook. He must be a genius or um, something like that. And it's like, yeah, "Eh, not necessarily the case. Um, So I've always, yeah, I've always kind of said like having that big tech experience as well as that like startup and entrepreneurial experience is, is dangerous, man. Like later in your career, it's like, that is so valuable. Yeah. I think it's definitely helped me thus far. Yeah. Love it. Um, so, you know, with, with the app clips coming out, you know, you've been in this for a little over three years now. Uh, did you start just going, did you go in on it full time right from the get go? Like, and then <laughs> did you start with like, were you very bootstrapped or did you, you know, cash out of some Amazon stock or how did you kind of float yourself, um, you know, in those early days? Yeah. So I joined Amazon and I think my, my starting salary right out of college, this isn't amazing, but it was like, 140k a year and I got like I think something like a hundred shares that were or three hundred shares yeah I think I got hundred shares and they and they were trading at like a thousand dollars at that time when I joined in 2017 the stock had tr- tripled at the time that I left so I had now 300k of Amazon stock that I was able to kind of pocket and float myself I had I've always wanted to start a business. I, the entire time I was at Amazon, I would come home from a long day, throw my backpack down and start working on a side project. I was, my days were consisting of coding the, from start to finish. I had worked on like five different ideas throughout my, throughout my tenure at Amazon. And I was just kind of waiting for the one that I felt confident that I could, I could make work. And app clips was the one that really, I, I was compelled by it because I instantly saw the potential. I know personally, I did not like downloading apps. And I thought, you know, theoretically, if app clips blow up to the degree that I think and hope they will, these could replace almost everything that a mobile website does. Because if you think about why would anybody choose to use a web experience over an app experience, if you didn't have to go through the cumbersome app store download process, I'm of the opinion that almost everyone would prefer to use the full screen native app experience over the web experience. So that was the, that was kind of what gave me the drive to do it. It's just that foundational belief that apps are better than websites. And I think they always will be. There's a lot of PWA fans out there. I was talking to one yesterday kind of at length about why I think, you know, app clips will, apps and app clips will reign supreme in the long term. I think it's almost, 
it's almost a violation of Apple's fiduciary responsibility to ever allow feature parity between websites and apps. Mm-hmm. It kind of it kind of degrades their moat. Uh, so I, and they also it's for security reasons. Apps just have more functionality to integrate with native APIs. They're also more performant. Uh, and I just don't think that Apple will ever have complete future parity between the two. I'm sure a lot of people listening will probably say, I completely disagree. One day they will be uh, equivalent, but I, I don't see it happening in the near future. So that was the that was the belief. I, I quit basically a, a week or two after Apple announced App Clips. I'd already kind of been working on some ideas related to NFC. I thought that was pretty cool. So I tuned into the 2020 uh, WWDC conference and I was like, let me just see if they announce anything about NFC tags. And they came out with app clips and they were like, you can launch an app from an NFC tag. And I was like, there it is that this is perfect. Like the timing was kind of insane. How, how much that lined up. I had been working on an NFC idea for maybe like two or three weeks when this, when this was announced. So I, I quit and I was like, what is the, what is the best use case for this? So I was thinking about like NFC tags with app clips, uh, kind of like contact sharing or, you know, restaurant menus, things like that. I quickly decided that the bigger opportunity would be to help e-com brands on Shopify uh, facilitate instant reordering through app clips. Cool. So that that was what the kind of the initial idea was. And during that time, I was in my parents' basement, uh, not paying myself. For the first couple of years, I was just completely bootstrapped. I think I put like 30000 into random parts of the business, like uh, incorporating and paying for digital ad specialists and things like that. A lot of that I think was squandered uh, just due to my uh, in, inexperience. Um, but that that's what I did for the first couple of years. And then I eventually got funding with, uh, once I got some traction with uh, kind of QR codes and NFC tags for reordering products from Shopify. And then kind of as I've, as I, as I've progressed, I've since very recently, I've taken all of the code that I wrote in the first couple of years of Burst and I packaged it up in an SDK. So now your app can do the same thing that my app was doing for these e-com brands. Uh, so you can take my SDK and completely control thousands of app clips via a web dashboard. And as far as I know, I'm the only one that's offering that as a service. Well, and backing up, what does NFC stand for? Oh, near field communication. Are, are you familiar with those? Uh, I personally hadn't heard of them. So I, and I'm sure a lot of listeners also have oh. not heard of them. So I, I was like, I was like, I've heard, I, I, I've seen it. And then I was like, I don't actually know what that is. Uh, so uh, so they're, they're little, they're, the technology is actually pretty wild. Uh, so they actually have no inherent power source. Okay. But you can put your, you can tap your phone. See how this just, I just tapped my phone to this and this launched an app clip. Yeah. So NFC tag. So this is a app clip for uh a kitchen storage brand that uses okay. first. You could go in here and buy that product if you wanted to. And that's just a demo. That's actually for a restaurant. But what an NFC tag is, it's a it's a small uh, like ring of wires that have no inherent power source, but it uses the radio waves from your phone. When your phone gets close enough to it, it charges the chip enough to a degree where it will beam a URL back to your phone. Okay. And, and it will launch the app clip. So I thought that was very cool. Yeah. Uh, in, in practicality, I, I, as I've worked on first longer, I think the value that I can provide companies is directly related to the total volume of app clip visitors. And NFC tags and QR codes just don't have quite the same volume as what I would describe as digital invocations. Uh, so since I've started to focus more on like kind of digital ads, social media ads, social media posts, and, and using the SDK within the confines of another app. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah, that is very cool technology. Um, it, it, it is. 
And I know you've been talking a lot about like for iOS apps is, is burst. Like, is this, uh, does it work with Android or, um, in the future, it will. Android does have a something similar to App Clips called Instant Apps. They, okay. I don't think they're quite as smooth as, as App Clips. I don't have an Android device. I've been very focused on iOS thus far, but everything that I build in Burst, so I have this editor where you can edit your App Clips without coding. So it's, it's pretty rudimentary right now. You can create Shopify products. It imports all the live data from your Shopify store, and it will create a, a product uh, kind of screen that you can actually transact with, and it will go through your regular Shopify Rails. You can add videos, pictures, uh, forms, uh, just text, uh, the kind of core elements to creating a screen. Mm -hmm. And that will, in the dashboard, it's obviously web. And you're, I'm giving you a live preview of what your app clip is going to look like. So I have to build that once. But then I also have this kind of Swift UI equivalent where everything that you build in web also renders in the exact same way in Swift, but it's a completely different rendering engine. So okay. it's the same, the same slide, I call them, is loaded in Android in web. But if you open it in iOS, you get that uh, superior app clip experience, which is native Swift. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and going back to the, like the, the funding, you know, going home, uh, you know, living in your parents' basement, uh, you know, it's a tale as old as time. Uh, that's like, you know, how people start companies and, um, you mm -hmm. know, ho hopefully make, make it make sense. Like what, when did you, um, you know, get funding and like, how did, how did that process kind of come about? I imagine this was kind of your first time going out and really fundraising. Yeah. Uh, so I was in the, the way that I did it is I was bootstrapping. I was, you know, acquiring customers, uh, for this QR code kind of instant reordering use case through app clips. I had gotten enough traction where I felt I can now take this to investors and prove that people are willing to pay. I felt like I had validated the idea enough and de-risked it uh, to a point where I was investable. Uh, initially, when I first quit Amazon, uh, I think in retrospect, maybe I would have been able to successfully raise, but I had zero track record proving that I knew how to build things beyond just my experience at Amazon as an engineer. So I felt I needed to prove that I could build this whole thing and I could get people to pay for it. And kind of at that first inflection point of I built it, people are paying for it, and we're going like this. That's the point in which I was like, okay, I'm going to stop. And as a one-person team, it's uh, very difficult to go fundraise while you're also being the full-time, you're the whole engineering team. And that, that encompasses an iOS app, uh, all the back-end APIs, and a, what you see is what you get editor in the web dashboard, and a Shopify app. So I had to build all of that by myself and I was kind of managing that while I was going out to seek fundraising. Uh, so at the point in which I started to get fun or I started to get traction in terms of revenue with the QR codes for reordering from Shopify stores, I started sending uh, emails to investors. Uh, the way I got the funding, I, I, it, I, no one helped me at all. I didn't get, I didn't get a single warm intro. Uh, this was all me just grassrootsing emailing. I submitted my, pitch deck cold to a VC firm called Pareto and they responded and they took the first meeting. And that's so why I had a 20 minute meeting. And then I had another meeting with another investor named Corey Levy at the, at the same time, simultaneously, I applied to Jason Calacanis's launch accelerator. Um, I got accepted to that as one of seven companies, but I, I thought the valuation was a little low and I was kind of looking at, I talked to a couple other uh, founders that went through it. I'm sure it's a great program, uh, but I had competing offers at the same time. So as I got that term sheet on Monday, I went back to the other kind of three investors that were 
gave me the we'll think about it kind of yeah. uh, so I went back to them on Tuesday and I said if you can give me a term sheet by midnight with you know this I it was for 500k at this valuation cap you know I'll go with you otherwise I'm going to go with launch and just kind of uh, force their hand and th that's how I was able to, to close the round nice yeah that's uh that's business right there is like having having an offer and being able to leverage it into you know some potential other deals um yeah that that is so key if you are uh new to fundraising having competing offers and a term sheet getting that first term sheet is obviously is, is a it's a huge step I, I know when i was staring up at this whole process took me probably like three to four months uh from like i have no idea how to fundraise I need to make a pitch deck. I was just looking like, what do you even put in a pitch deck? Uh, to getting the the round actually closed took me like three to four months of you know dedicated almost ninety percent of my time effort doing this. But I I don't know if I would have ever where I'd be right now if I wouldn't have had that launch accelerator kind of term sheet on the table. I think I I would have had to do a lot more work to get those other three investors kind of over the finish line. Cool. And how did it, how did it feel when you, when you got that and you signed and you got funding? Like, what is that initial just like, holy shit? Yeah, it is very cool. That was a, it was a whirlwind a couple of days there. I was, I was calling people nonstop. I just remember my voice being hoarse and my brain being fried. I was calling, I was, I was on talking to one of my advisors who I met through YC co-founder match a long time ago. We were going to work together. And now I just meet with him once a month. He's very smart, but he was the one that kind of advised me on how to navigate this whole situation. But I was calling him. I was calling uh, people that had already gone through launch and just asking them what they thought about the program. Did they think it was better than these competing offers that I had? I was talking to lawyers about term sheets and clauses I should be concerned about. But yeah, at the conclusion of that, it was, it was certainly, uh, I can't believe I did it because uh, I've, I've literally had nobody help me this entire time. Like my advisor, Mac, has been a, a great resource for me. But yeah, I've had like everything that I've done thus far has basically been been me with no favor. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, you know, you, you alluded to it. It's like you were you're the only person uh, like you're, you're coding. So when you do take this time off and, you know, every every time every day or you know hour that you're out there fundraising like your product's not being built anymore you know it's it's yeah. you know and it's probably not getting updated and maybe bugs are happening things like that so i'm sure it was kind of like quickly like you get the funding and it's like okay now i gotta like catch back up on three four months of work um yeah and when did that when did that funding come in like was that this year last year <laughs> that was in october okay last year Okay, cool. So about a little over a year with with some funding going. Have you have you hired anyone else to your team? Is it still just you, or have you used contractors or outside, you know, offshore resources? How have you kind of kept things growing? Yeah. So initially, I hired a salesperson, um, but quickly realized that, and this kind of. Uh, the initial use case I was working on was QR codes for e-com businesses to quickly reorder products. There's this, there's this kind of fundamental flaw with, with that approach and a big reason why I've kind of transitioned towards this SDK approach, which I feel like uh, is, is much more valuable to my customers. But the issue with the QR code business and why this salesperson ended up kind of not being uh, didn't work. And I had to, to let the person go. He's a great guy, but uh, ultimately I had to decide that the, the return on this salary is just not uh, a, a, a wise way for me to be spending money right now. And I need to focus on other uh, ways to grow this. 
but the QR code business, I call it the the bell curve of QR code knowledge. So there's there's like so it looks like this. This is like let this uh, distribution represent like the average person, like every every person on the globe's like understanding of QR codes. There's the bottom ten percent that know basically nothing. They maybe have heard the word. These ten percent of people would take my calls and they would listen to what I was saying and and hear about my QR codes. The top ten percent is like the the super users that understand what I'm selling is a significantly superior experience that gives you push notifications and a full screen native app uh, without anyone needing to visit the app store. They would take my calls, but the middle eighty percent would say, "Why would I pay for a QR code? I can make that for free." So it it, it created like this. I know nine out of you know eight out of ten of my emails are landing in the inbox of people that are like, "I don't need yeah. to pay you know two hundred dollars a month for." QR codes. I can just make that for free. So I started to kind of have a little bit of uh, doubt about that business model. And I, I thought the way that I could potentially charge more for this is to position it as an SDK. And now I'm saving you hundreds of thousands of dollars in development effort, uh, but you need to buy into the vision of app clips. So I'm still, once app clips become ubiquitous, I will be the app clip platform until that point. I'm very much a app install attribution for digital ads or uh, any other kind of more pointed use case for app clips. But yeah, that I hired a salesperson. Then I hired a, my college roommate was working with me for a little bit on like a contractor relationship. I've been very lean. I wasn't paying myself uh, even after I got funding. I, I still kept kind of keeping myself at that zero salary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently started paying myself not a lot, um, but I, I do have a, a new engineer that's working with me at this point who is a very heavy back end focus. So I, I like to say the two the two things that differentiate burst and will give it a moat in the long term are what you can build and how easy it is to build it. So how how easy is it to create an app clip that blows people away via our web dashboard? That's going to be one one moat against potential competitors is how 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 cool of app clips can you create and how how many conversions can you drive with our app clips? Do we have more templates than everybody else to create very visually appealing and uh, converting app clip experiences? And the other one is analytics. I, I I do see Burst as a a tool that can be used for attribution because app clips give you this unique ability to pass attribution information from web to app clip to install. Typically, when somebody downloads an app from the App Store, it's a black box. Uh, you need to use either device fingerprinting or some sort of backend reconciliation to figure out where they actually came from, mm-hmm. especially if they're not authenticating in web. Uh, so app clips give you this unique ability to pass, let's just say, an ID from web to app clip to install. And I know that ID is a TikTok ID. Right. So you go TikTok web to app clip to install. You have the full picture of attribution, and I can tell you everything that happened between point A and point B, I'm un- I'm unlocking all of this new information for you on where your app installs are coming from and how you can optimize that that process. Yeah, and that is worth so much. Just like understanding that data of where your customers or where your downloads are coming from. Um, yeah, is, is huge. I talked talk to a lot of customers that they'll run creator campaigns or they'll run digital ads, and a lot of times. They just kind of guess what what installs are coming from where, but they they don't really have an idea. There is existing kind of like AppSplier, Branch.io, uh, app attribution companies that do this. They're much more complex, and they don't give you the they don't give you the app clip experience creation. So I, you can use uh, any analytics tool that you want to kind of track this information. But what Burst is really specializing in 
is the creation of the entire flow. What building it and giving you all of the data on that in one nicely packaged solution, uh, building an app clip focused attribution dashboard that tells you everything that you would ever want to know about getting people to install your app. Love it. And, and as you know, I know you mentioned later, it's like once app clips like really does like blow off and, and like does like become more you, like everyone is going to want to understand how it works. It's like, you're not just getting started when it gets popular. It's like, Hey, I've, I've been doing this for over three years plus now, and we're ready to go. Like, so, you know, yeah. there's, there's not that downtime of from when it gets popular to building it. And it's like, Hey, I can seize the moment right here and kind of be hopefully, you know, first or one of the first to market. Um, yeah, I, I definitely will be first. I, I yeah. am currently <laughs> the first and only, as far as I'm aware, uh, that's, that's doing this, but yeah, this is, this has kind of been one of the, the pain points for me uh, starting first is even I, I will talk to developers, iOS developers that have been coding for six years and I'll, and I'll get on a call with them and say, they'll say, I had no idea that app clips could do that. And I have those conversations all day, every day. And I, that it, it's good in some sense, because I'm kind of educating the market. I also don't have enough money and time to educate the entire world about app clips. When app clips become ubiquitous, I can pivot my kind of outward marketing to be the app clip platform, the app clip control panel. That, that's what I really see Burst as. But until app clips are ubiquitous, I need to find pointed use cases where the, these where app clips provide an improved user experience or more data for you know, CPOs or your marketing team. Mm -hmm. So that's really what I'm focused on right now. But the, the objective and the reason why I think Burst could potentially be a, a huge company is when and if app clips become ubiquitous and everybody knows what they are and it becomes the de facto standard way to engage with your customers on a mobile device, I will have the platform that enables you to do it better than anybody else. Yeah, I think that it's 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 huge. And like I've learned more about app clips in this 30 minute conversation than I've ever known in before. So it's like this is this yeah. is how the conversations kind of get started. And when it becomes like household essentially, it's like that's when, yeah, again, like you're you're ready to go. You're not you don't have to be like, oh, there's something here. It's like, no, there's been something here. I'm I'm ready. And uh yeah, I love it. And how did you how did you come up with the name burst? Like where did that come from? It used to be called uh, Bump Me. Uh, that was when I was focused on NFC tags and kind of launching app clip experiences from NFC tags for person-to-person -person contact or reordering products. I I pivoted to the name Burst because it's a burst of information. It bursts up on your phone. A burst has sustenance. There is something in a burst. And I just felt like it was a good way to kind of distill kind of what it feels like to use or see an app clip. So that that's how I landed on on the name burst. But like it was it. a little deliberation with with some friends. Yeah, it's uh that's how a lot of good stuff happens. It's just like chatting it out and I like it's a nice sleek logo too. Um and yeah it looks looks like a nice comfy hoodie too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah my girlfriend embroidered this for me. Oh very nice. Is it one of a kind? Yeah, yeah it's a one of one. Hell yeah. Love it. Um, that'll be worth some money to someday. Uh, hopefully, hopefully. And Ted, like, as we're kind of coming up on time here, like, you know, you're three and a half years into Burst. Uh, a lot has changed since then. Um, what are you most excited about, you know, for like yourself and for Burst to, to go through in like, you know, short term, I like to call short term the next six to nine months. And then long term is two years from now. 
in the short term, I'm excited about bringing this SDK to market and getting indie devs to fall in love with the way that it helps them drive installs and unlock insights into how somebody is starting their journey from not knowing your app to installing your app. That's really the thing that we're focused on right now, or I'm focused on right now, is educating indie app dev indie app developers on how app clips can unlock this new set of information for you and drive more installs. In the long term, I'm excited about the potential for app clips to replace 90 to 95% of everything that previously was mobile web. That that was in my pitch deck. That that is that is the vision that I've been working towards for a long time. And I I whenever things get rocky over here, I always think about how there's no way that a website will ever be as good as an app. And if you don't need to go to the app store to download it, I think that these will reign supreme one day. Yeah, and I love it. And and kind of as you just as you mentioned earlier, it's like, you know, Apple, they want to make like they want to make sure that the apps are better than the web apps. Uh because yes. it's like that is their whole that is their whole business right there. Or not their whole business, obviously, but that is so yeah. much of their their business with the apps. I somewhat jokingly, as I said earlier, <laughs> say it's a violation of their fiduciary yeah. <laughs> responsibility to shareholders to ever have feature parity between websites and apps. So I'm betting on that being true. Totally. I love it. And Ted, where can people find out more about you, find out more about Burst? Um, yeah. Anything you want to plug right now? Now is the time. Yeah. If anyone's curious about app clips, would love to chat with uh, especially app owners out there that are looking to find new ways to unlock insights into how people are installing their app or drive more conversions from any social media platforms, even emails, QR codes, whatever it is. App clips are the best way to onboard users to your app. You can find my company's website at burst.to. Cool. Love it. Uh, Ted, this has been great chatting with you. I appreciate you jumping on and I hope everyone has enjoyed today's episode. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it.